<laughs> but anyways, we're continuing our, continuing our series in Mark. We're in chapter 7 now. Uh, before we jump in, we're going to be in verses 1 through 23. I want to do a quick recap. In Mark 1, 1, he starts the gospel by saying, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So over the last six chapters, Mark is unpacking who this Jesus is, the authoritative Son of God. So in the first six chapters, we see Jesus cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, forgive sins, calm storms, feed at least 5,000, Eric said 15 to 20,000 when you add the women and children, all with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then in Mark 6, we see uh, Jesus walking on water. And it ends with Jesus healing all those from the villages and countryside that were gathered and touched his garments. So what Peter, when Peter preached a couple of weeks ago, he said, um, these miracles were meant in part to be a sign to who the Son of God was, who Jesus was. Problem was they weren't getting it. Like they were having a hard time seeing. So here we're, we're kind of moving into Mark 7, and um, there's a couple of things happening. One, like Eric's vision he had this morning, there's a something just moving with force that is just upending everything in this chapter. I mean, it literally flips everything upside down. Because what Jesus is going to say is, what you thought my kingdom was, it's not. And the other thing he's saying is, this isn't about the fact that you can't see what the signs are. It's the fact that the problem is your heart. And so he's addressing these things in a very powerful way. So I'm going to start by reading... Um, uh, verses 1 through 8. Uh, I don't know if it's up there. Yep. So the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observed many other traditions, such as washing cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why, do your disciples live, why don't your disciples live according to tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So the Pharisees and scribes, I mean, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think Pharisee? Hypocrite, legalist. But the truth is, like, in the first century, you know, in Jesus' time, the, the Pharisees weren't thought of this way. They were respected men of their communities. They were influential not only in religion, but politics. Many of them were business owners. They were considered moral citizens, you know, people to look up to. But not all of them. We know some, like Nicodemus, actually repented and followed Jesus. But then these guys here, they're not interested in understanding Jesus. They're out to get him. So these Pharisees, this is the second time this delegation, you know, a group came from Jerusalem that consisted of Pharisees and scribes. First time we, we uh, read in Mark 3 that um, they had come and they're observing Jesus. And what they took note of is as he was casting out demons, they said, hey, he's casting out demons because Satan is in him. And that was their uh, accusation against him. And he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so a house divided uh, by, you know, a house divided cannot stand. And then he flips it on them and says, and if you're saying the spirit in me is evil, then you're committing blasphemy and that's an unforgivable sin. This is the last time we had the, this group, you know, observing Jesus. So now they come back and they're trying to find something, right? They're, they're kind of looking around and they, they find something to accuse him with. And the interesting thing is, uh, let me see, <laughs> is that they all come to the conclusion together. And so it says, they saw, they said. So it's kind of like, you have this guy, you really want to nail him. You think you have evidence to get him, you don't like what he's doing, but you're kind of like the prosecutors and, and the law enforcement, they come together in the room and say, do we have something that we can just pin on this guy? Something that not only we can arrest him for, but we can prosecute and likely get a conviction. Problem was, Jesus was really popular. This was like the height of his popularity. People loved him. I mean, he was like healing everyone, feeding everyone. Um, and so for them to kind of like bring accusation against someone that they love like this, this was not going to be an easy task. But they agreed on this, and here's their charge. The disciples didn't wash their hands according to the traditions of the elders. The, this law was about purity. So they would wash themselves in a very specific way, making them clean. Okay. <laughs> Um, so obviously we know this wasn't about the, the disciples' hygiene. You know, they're not washing their hands before they eat. You know, it's dirty. They didn't do like, you know, the alphabet the whole time and, and scrub the, fing the fingers for 20 seconds. I mean, if it was only that, that would be one thing, but this was actually something far more. So like their process was, was kind of detailed in this ritual, ceremonial washing. They did it with like closed fists so one palm would not pollute the other. Vigorous diligence demanded washing up to the wrist, you know, a certain amount of water. And then if one washed all the way up to, to the elbows, there could be no doubt that their hands were clean. So what was driving this discourse between Jesus and the Pharisees was two levels of law. There was God's commands, and then there was the tradition of the elders. So God's commands, we know, were written by Moses for the Israelites, you know, in the Old Testament. And the traditions of the elders were oral laws passed down from one generation to the other. So it, it, it's, it's important to also understand that there's the law, which is God's commands, and then the traditions of the elders were called fence laws. So Moses recorded the law, oh wait, I already said that, sorry. So the traditions were this, they're called fence laws. The commandments of God were the law. So here's the law, God says to follow. So the tradition of the elders, the fence laws, they built a fence around God's law. So they did that in order, you know, they said, well, if we do these things, then you won't even get through the fence to break the law. Over time, the problem was these fence laws were given authority as the word of God. A prime example was this ritual of washing their hands. So to hold to the tradition of the elders, the people did not eat without washing their hands. And they were even uh, more meticulous with when they were in the marketplace, if you brushed up against a Gentile, you were defiled. You had to wash, you know. And, and so this was kind of the issue. You know, there's like 600, well, there is 613 commands that God gave, and the fence laws that the Pharisees created were about 1,500. 
So when you, when you hear or, or the, the Pharisees accusing Jesus of violating a law, it's their law. It's not God's commands. It's the fence laws they put around his law. And so he kept coming back after them and saying, you're missing it. That's not what the law meant. You're, you're going to a letter of a law instead of what the spirit of the law was. You know, so I was thinking, like Heather and I were talking last night, and I was like, you know, there, there's so many examples of fence laws in our church and, and how that affected people. You know, back, like she was saying, when she was in college, this was in the mid-60s, no, I'm kidding, in the mid-80s. Um, that's not going to go over well later, but... Um, um, you know, so she went to Messiah College and they had to sign a code of conduct. So Messiah College wanted to protect God's law of sexual purity, you know. So what they did is made the students sign something that said they will not dance. So, but here's the thing. Now, you can't dance because that's going to lead you, you know, to bad things. But if you're sitting in your chair, you can move your feet and your arms like this. <laughs> That's acceptable. So she was telling me one time, Amy Grant came to their college and she was singing. So the kids were worshiping and they're like, this is awesome. And kids got like sighted and Amy Grant's like, you're never coming back. Wow. So the <laughs> the, the, these are things we can kind of laugh at, but, but there are fence laws everywhere. So in that case, you know, God's law says, you know, do not be sexually impure. Avoid sexual immorality. Man's law or the fence law says don't dance. So another example a lot of us know is um, Josh Harris wrote a book, and he never attended for this to be a fence law. But so many, it was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And, and people would line up to have him sign, not only from all over the country that came, but over the world, people were reading this book. And too many people, or so many people we know, made this offense law for their kids. So it was like God was saying, don't commit adultery. And man was saying, here's offense law, don't date until you're ready to court or get married. And so these are the issues that Jesus was was addressing. So Aiken says this, unfortunately, Pharisees had a Paul, as Paul says, a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Romans 10.2. Amazingly, we can have passion for God, yet not know God. Isn't that crazy? We can be deceived, captured, and enslaved by the deadly lure of legalism. Tragically, those who have been raised in the church are the most susceptible to this deception. Our pride in our religion Religious rituals, cultural practices, and cultural traditions blind us to both our great sinfulness and the great Savior who alone can rescue us from our sin. <coughs> you know, sometimes legalism is forced on us by these fence laws, and you may have been impacted by that. Sometimes we put them on ourselves. We just feel guilty and shame, and we want to we wanna do more, not just what God says. We just want to add to it, because if that makes us right with him, then let me do even more than that. And so then you, you, you put on yourself this weight and this burden that he never intended you to have. And we talk about the, the people of Israel. They were so burdened with fence laws. And just remember what Jesus says in Matthew 11, right? 
We all know this. Come to me who are weary and burdened. Take my yoke. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble. And he's speaking in part to these fence law burdens. I will give you rest for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not putting all these other things on you. So now, I didn't go, we didn't get to Jesus' response yet. This is their accusation um, about Jesus' disciples violating or not honoring the traditions of the elders. And so here we have a fence law that's being pitted against God's command. So Jesus answers with God's commands. He replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You know, Jesus doesn't make any, um, address anything regarding his disciples' behavior. He's not defending them. But what he does do is get straight to the heart of the matter. What is the source of true spiritual authority? God's word or your traditions? My law or your fence laws? So Jesus called them hypocrites. You know, hypocrites, which basically means play actors. They're in a play. So for them, this is all an act. You're God. We're going to play the people who love you. You know, give us the script. We read it. I think we can improve that quite a bit. I think you'll like the way we, we, we play this part. And I was just thinking this morning as we're worshiping, can you imagine if this was just a play and people were up here, were singing. I mean, we were singing with our hearts touching God. But what if, what if we were just like, we didn't even know God. We, don't, we were just distant from him. And it's like, how about this? If I get down on my knees and I go like this, that, that looks like it. He's going to like that. A God would like that. And they just like do these things that make it look on the outside more and more like they love him. And he's just saying, you guys have it all wrong. You're hypocrites. You're, you're, your worship service is a play. You're singing to me with lips that are, you're singing to me in vain. You're not even singing to me with your heart. So we're going to go to uh, verse 9 here. But Jesus repeats and expands the claims of verse 8. You know, the fence laws, Pharisaic traditions were, were even being used to invalidate God's commands. And I'm going to read from the NLT. It's a little easier to kind of understand here. And Jesus replied to their uh, accusation here. You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your traditions. For instance... Moses gave you the law from God. Honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you. For I have vowed to give God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents and so cancel the word of God in order to, in order to hand down your traditions. And this is only an example of among many others. And Jesus was saying this with a big, bit of sarcasm. He's saying, not only do you do this, but you do this so well. 
So Jesus here is, is quoting from Exodus 20 and 21. One is the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, and the second is the consequences for, not, for disrespecting your, honor, uh, your father and mother, which is that you should be put to death. But the Pharisees pit God's command against God's command. They allow them to say, make a vow to God with that money that you would have had to give to your parents. You can't break your vow to God. So which command do you honor? So what they're doing is now giving these men, whether they're angry or greedy, an out. They could tell their parents, sorry, I made a vow to God. I can't give it to you. The possessions would be off limits to their parents. So Aiken says this, just look at this progression in this, in verse 7. First they teach the commands of man. Then they leave the commands of God. Next they reject the commands of God. And finally they make void the word of God. And he says, if we are not careful, we will fail to see our own hypocrisy and progression. Oh, we know it's possible to be a hypocrite. We see it in others. It's only when it's in us that we go spiritually deaf, dumb, and blind. <laughs> so Jesus is like, you know, confronting this law, uh, their traditions, and comparing it to how it violates God's commands. He's transitioning now to actually explaining this to the people. And this is where, you know, this, um, this thing moving across the ground just flips everything upside down. And he's flipping it upside down right here. He started with them and saying, everything you guys do is wrong. It does nothing to move your hearts towards God or please God. So he's made that point. Now he's shifting to the people and he's like, look at this. So Jesus, called, so Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. And so just in this moment right now, he's saying, he's saying this to us. He's saying this to everyone. There is something that's, that's so important right now that he's saying, listen to me. Every one of you that can hear these words or read these words. And understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. So it's interesting that he leaves the crowd there. Can you imagine your whole way of thinking in, in, in faith, religion, tradition is just turned upside down? He's addressing, I don't know if they heard the conversation with the Pharisees or not. But he calls the people to him and responds to their accusation and their, their traditions. But they're left with this thing. It's like, okay, so what? So the disciples are like, well, we don't understand. So let's, let's go on. After he had the, left the crowd and entered the house, he just, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is, not what, is what defiles him. For it, is written, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, 
theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not here on earth. It's spiritual. But they have no context for this. They don't understand what he's saying. Like, for the disciples and, the, and all that were listening, it was literally a drop the mic and drop a bomb moment. Everything that you think and thought is wrong and upside down, and then he just leaves. Where's the prescription? Where's, you know, now what? What do we do? What's the solution to this? He doesn't answer it there. And he doesn't answer it for them. Eventually we know he will. So it's just, it's just interesting when you think of this defilement that's within them, that's all this, this, this filth, and the thing that some, think that somehow they or we can do certain things on the external to make that go away is just absurd. Can you do those external things better? You know, maybe harder? And touch the defilement that's within you? We can't. Jimmy's going to like this. I want to catch in Hudson Taylor. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> he wanted to teach a spiritual lesson, so he filled a glass with water, placed it on the table before him, and while he was speaking, he pounded the table. He, and he said, sorry. Um, so, so the water splashed out, and then he explained, you will come against much trouble, but when you do, remember, only that which is in you will come out. So it's such a, a good visual. Because you think about it. He's saying the issue is not outside, it's inside, right? And so what's revealed is when we, when we come against adversity, it forces what's inside to come out. It reveals it. And it reveals it in ways that Jesus described as these things of defilement. So the question is like, you know, what can wash away that sin we know, right? The old song, nothing but the blood of Jesus. But when we think about even going back to the example of Hudson Taylor, it's like what Jesus is saying, everything on the outside, everything external is not that which defiles you, which means if I get an argument in my, with my wife, it's not her that brings out my anger brings out my fr frustration. If I'm tempted and I respond to that, it's not the thing that's tempted me. If I, whatever it is, it's not my coworkers, it's not my employees, it's not the guy that cut me off. All these things that we think are the reasons externally why the, the, this defilement that comes off with us, it's because of that. It's because my wife, she just nags me can't help but get angry and frustrated and kick the can. <laughs> not the cat. I didn't say cat. Okay. Do not kick the cat. But I think we just need to kind of let this kind of rest on us a little bit and just hear what Jesus is saying because he's making the point that nothing external 
can either clean you or cause what's in you to come out. It's not their fault. It's what's in you, and there's nothing you can do about it except for Jesus. So I just want to make sure we kind of let that, that settle in us a little bit, that, that we have some grace for each other. My wife and I have learned to have a lot of grace for each other over the years. She knows the defilement that's in me that's taken years to kind of transition from, from this ugly defilement to the character and fruit of the Spirit. It's taken time. Like Initially, you didn't even have to hit the table and anger would jump out. It's just, you know, it's just how much was in there. And we gave each other space. Like, we understood. Like, if your spouse or friend or coworker or others around you just have these things surface, don't distance yourself from them or just identify them with that. And don't identify yourself with it. Because it's not who we are, it's what's in us. Yeah. And let's have grace for each other because we're trusting each other that Jesus is transforming us into his likeness. And so I can promise you, if we abide in him and we remain, these things will change. When that force, external force comes by way of conflict or temptation or resistance, you're going to find that, whoa, instead of pride, there was, there was humility. Instead of anger, there was patience and self-control. Instead of lust, I kind of, you know, had self-control and, and actually love for someone. Um, these are the things that even Peter was talking about, that if we grow in, if we invest in, if we, his word will, if we apply ourselves it, every day, incrementally, it's going to change what's in our heart. So we know Jesus said, in John 15, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. <coughs> in saying this, he was, he was re Jesus repeated an idea from earlier that evening when he washed the disciples' feet. Because it said there, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. But it's completely clean. And he says, you are clean. So when, we come, when we're called and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we're cleaned. We don't need to repent and change our ways and move back. We already are clean. But we need to be clean continually, don't we? Because when I come to him and he cleans me and now I'm his and the veil has been removed and I now step into relationship with him, I'm cleaned. I'm a new person. But the defilement's still there. So he's given us his word to wash that out and it takes time and it's a, it's a process and he's patient with that. The word of God is a cleansing agent, this commentator said. It condemns sin, it inspires holiness, it promotes growth, and it reveals power for victory. Jesus continues to watch his disciple through his words. In Ephesians 5, 6, when talking about the husbands loving your wives, it says, Christ loved the church and, grew, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's the word that washes us. Amen. It's the word that transists or changes that defilement slowly into the fruits of the Spirit, into the character of God. 
So, the, you know, I was just thinking, like, so what is it, Lord? You know, how do we approach you in a way that, that, that you wash us? Well, the first thing is don't let your pride get in the way of us receiving God's provision for that, which is confess your sins one to another, right? He's saying, look, I've provided for you. I know that this is in you. But he says, if we, have, if we say we have sin, we deceive ourselves, no sin. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And all this list of things are unrighteous defilement. He's given us provision for that, but it begins with humility. And if we just are holding on to this and we're holding on to these things, and it's just like, oh man, this defilement, this defilement is within me. And I think as we, we look around and we see each other, we know that, man, that person's not like they used to be. Man, the word of God really changes people when we, when we you know, just apply this to our lives. And it takes humility to say, hey, you know what? I've sinned. I've, I've struggled with this. And humbly just say, this is what's in me. Should we be surprised that in every heart here, there's defilement, but yet we hide it? Like, man, if, if you knew there was defilement in my heart, you, you're not going to even want to be near me. It's so ridiculous because it's in all of us, just to varying degrees depending on how much God has transformed that in our lives. You know, and um, some of us memorized Second uh, Corinthians in three eighteen, where it says, "For the one who turned to the Lord, the veil is removed." Right, and the Spirit is the, the Lord is the Spirit. Talking about the person you saw, the the Spirit that Moses saw, that was Jesus. And where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that image, yes. right? Not all at once, but from one degree of glory to another. And so when that transition is happening in our lives, we are slowly reflecting more of the, the likeness and glory of Jesus Christ. So one is if we could just be patient with each other, but also... Do as Peter said, every day, incrementally, add these things to your faith. Get in the word, confess your sin, repent, be vulnerable, be open, and let God do the word of, of transformation in our lives. So this is what, what's, what Jesus is saying here, which he's flipping, is that there's nothing externally that you can do. And, every, and anybody, like I said, that have put these burdens on them to help them become more pleasing to God, Come to him and just drop those at his feet. Yeah, yeah. It moves us no closer to him. It, it will not change us because there's no grace in those things to change. Yes. There's yeah. grace in him for our sin to change us when we come to him and say, I can't do it. And he's like, I know, I can. And I was thinking, you know, as we're going to be selling Christ, celebrating Christmas, in part I'm like, you know, we're all buying gifts, but this is Jesus' birthday. What does he want? You know? <laughs> and I kind of asked him, I was like, you know, what do you want for your birthday? You know, we are celebrating. It's an amazing thing to celebrate, you know, what, what this moment is. 
But I felt like what he wants from us is for us to receive his gift. You know, it's like when you're a parent, when you're a kid, you want the gift, right? I'm not giving you anything. Just give it to me. And the more, the better. But when you, become, when you get to become parents, your joy is in them receiving it and just loving and their excitement. And Jesus gave us an incredible gift. And he also gave us incredible provision to receive all that he intended for us. It takes humility. So his, our gift to him is just to humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, we are defiled. Father, but we give our lives to you. We confess, Father. We want to grow in your word. And we want to draw closer to you. That's his gift to us. And that's what brings him joy. So, I don't know. Am I way short? <laughs> okay. Um, no, but I mean, I forgot to start my, my phone for the... Uh, what? Yeah, so I hope, you know, even as we were worshiping and, and in prayer this morning, you know, Paul led us, and we were just praying for those that have been affected by... Um, just the burden of legalism. You know, God just wants to set us free from that. And if you've been affected by that and you're still just carrying that, just lay that before him. He wants to set you free into his mercy, into his grace, into the freedom that he's called you to. And he also wants us to know that um, it's, with, it's what's within us that only he can wash and wash away. So... As we kind of transition into worship and, and just um, move from his word, from worship to his word is, you know, his worship and, and prophetic word this morning was about the heart. You know, what do we bring to him? What is he after in our hearts? And I hope through this word, he's telling us what he wants and what he doesn't want and what we can bring him that will bring, his, bring him joy. We can't please him without faith. Come with faith. He wants us to bring him the things that he's given us to bring. Mm -hmm.